You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 321, The Importance of the Church, A Look at the Acts of the Apostles, Part 3. So we started this series talking about the importance of the church, but we're looking at it in the context of the book, The Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles is the, 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 the first 30 years of how the church grew and developed. It's not a, a, a sterile history book, but it's a story it, it, it really is a collection of stories of how the church grew from Jerusalem to Rome. It's quite exciting, quite interesting, and there's so many things that we can learn from. We talked about the background of the author, Dr. Luke. Then we looked at some of the key themes. That's kind of where we're, we're at now. We looked at what our mission is, the fact that um, making disciples and planting churches really is the mission of the church. That hasn't changed. Um, our, our methods change. Uh, maybe the way we present the gospel changes, but really the the, the mission itself, making disciples and, and, and using church planting as a big part of that, really hasn't changed. <clears throat> the second thing we talked about was the Holy Spirit. God gave His Holy Spirit to empower the church. Um, the word is, is, is offensive to some, but God called the church to be charismatic, and that means to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not in a weird way. Um, we, we truly believe that the more Spirit-filled a person becomes, the more normal they become. Uh, A.W. Tozer, we, we highlighted his book, um, Keys to the Deeper Life, and he talks about that fact that, that when you're led by the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you should become... Uh, really a much more normal person. It doesn't make you weird. But the Holy Spirit is given to lead us, guide us, to empower us for the mission. There's the initial filling in Acts 2, but there are repeated fillings of the Holy Spirit throughout the book. So that's why I encourage you to read Acts and, uh, and, and see the things that are happening in the local church and see what's going on in your church, maybe even compare. <clears throat> we talked about prayer. Prayer is such a foundational thing for the church. We are called to pray. Yes, we're called to pray individually, and we see that throughout Acts. We see Peter and Paul and others praying by themselves, spending time in God's presence, but we also see corporate prayer, um, getting together as a group and praying together. I just left a, a church staff meeting where I volunteer, and um, every Tuesday after staff meeting after we've kind of talked about what's going on we take 30 to 45 minutes and spend it praying together as a group for the church for the needs in the church and that God would continue to guide and bless and do his work in people's lives so today we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about the power of community when you read the book of acts 
you see this incredible picture of community from the first chapter all the way to the end of the book. And you know, living in 2021 and having lived through 2020 and COVID and the pandemic, we need community more than ever. People, um, you know, dealt with depression during the pandemic. The suicide rate rate shot up. Uh, People struggling with addictions, those spiraled out of control because they were by themselves. They were isolated. They were alone. One of the first things God said in the Bible was, it's not good for man to be alone. And he wasn't just talking about getting married. He was talking about, excuse me, all of society. God has called us to uh, live in community. Um, Life is better when we're connected. So the first thing I want to talk about is the power of connection. You know, when you read Acts 1, this is such an interesting chapter because the disciples had experienced Jesus's death, which was was traumatic. It was terrifying. The, The things that they had lived for and longed for and hoped for had died in an instant when Jesus died. But then when Jesus was resurrected, um, they saw him. Their hopes were rekindled. Their hopes were revived. But then after 40 days, Jesus left. While they were standing watching, he said, look, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you for ministry. And then he was taken up before their very eyes. And again, now we're back to, well, what do we do now? What's the next step? He said, wait, there's going to be this, this, this infilling. He said, wait for, the, the, for when the power comes, the promise of my Father. But what does that look like? What do we do? And so we see the power of community, the power of connection, because they all went back to the upper room, probably the same place where they had celebrated the Last Supper. At one point, it says that there's 120 disciples there. You've got the apostles. You've got Jesus' mother. You've got his brothers James, who's become a believer now, and others, and James and Jude, um, you know, they didn't believe in Jesus. And and Paul tells us that Jesus made a special appearance to James and um, welcomed him into the welcomed him into the fold. And James came to faith. And now he's he's with the group in the upper room, still new in his faith, not sure what's going to you know going to happen. And later on, he'll actually become one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. But it shows the power of connection. They they needed each other. So you've got this group of 120. They're in the upper room together, and what are they doing? They're praying. They're talking. They're 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 probably looking at the scriptures. What do we need to do now? What's next? Waiting for the next thing. Praying, being close together, connecting with each other, reassuring each other, and you know, in a real sense. This is kind of what we do in the small groups in our church and so many other churches do. You know, it's great to worship together on a Sunday morning. There's nothing like the big Sunday morning celebration with worship and, you know, awesome music and great preaching and great time of, you know, catching up with each other before and after service. But there's something even more special when we get together in a small group and we talk and we <clears throat> talk about what's going on in our lives and we pray for each other and we have a great meal and we laugh and sometimes we cry and we we build relationships with each other. It's so important and so powerful. So the power of connection, and we see it again all through the book of Acts. But also we want to ask the question, what does Christian community look like? You know, we could we could look across the the gamut of church history, and we see the 
the more liturgical churches, the Catholic Church, and even in the Protestant Church, the Anglican and the Episcopal Churches, and maybe the the uh, Lutheran churches, and maybe sometimes the Methodist churches that are more liturgical. Um, so what what what's going on here? What does true community look like? Because there's nothing wrong with any of that. I, I, the church I go to doesn't use any real liturgy. It's not a high church. It's a um, independent, non-denominational church, but we're connected with a, you know, large group of other churches. But, <clears throat> you know, that's not our style, but there's nothing wrong with it. But what is the, 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 if you take all the trappings away, what is the essence of Christian community? Listen to what uh, Luke says here in Acts 2. He says this. He says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know, I think when you break it down, it really comes down to to maybe four things. Four things that we can pull out of this passage. The, the characteristics of a good church, the characteristics of a healthy church, um, teaching and preaching God's Word. That's the first thing. You know, in, in, in today's society, there's such a emphasis on not offending people, and, you know, we pick and choose the things that we want to preach and teach about. And, um, you know, look, God's Word is God's Word. We don't have to apologize for it. Now, grace, as we've talked about before, grace always precedes truth, and there's no reason we can't preach the truth um, with God's grace. But we don't have to defend God. We don't have to apologize for what God said in His Word. And, and, and we're really only going to build a strong, healthy local church as we preach and teach God's Word. We want to preach sound doctrine. We want to preach practical things. Look, there's not, we don't just preach doctrine. We preach things that are going to help people. We just finished a series on... Uh, the Holy Spirit. I think the next series is going to be on Christian leadership. Um, we've done series on money. We do series on serving. There's there's so many things, but it's all based on what God says in His Word. Uh, I think another thing that's very, very important is what we talked about is, is the idea of community. Um, Luke talks about it here in Acts as fellowship, connection. It says they met in the temple, but they also met in their homes. They shared their meals in homes and you know, there's there's the big meetings and there's the small meetings. And this, this idea of fellowship, connecting, and even beyond that, just building relationships. If if the only relationships you have with people in your church are on Sunday, I question the depth of those relationships. Um, you know, during the pandemic, during 2020, when everything was going so bad, uh, the Barna Group, and they, if you're familiar with the Barna Group, they study church trends and see what's going on in churches. And they came out with a, a shocking article, you know, kind of in the middle of last year, three quarters of the way through the year. And they predicted that um, a high percentage of churches would be closing down in the U.S. And I thought, well, how is that? No, come on, that's not going to happen. But when you read the article, they said it's based on two things. 
If people don't have deep and meaningful relationships with people in their church, they're going to walk away from that group during the time when they're not allowed to meet. Obviously, finances was one of the other things. If the church is not receiving offerings and continued offerings during the pandemic, it's going to make things very difficult as well. But, um, but I thought that the, that that idea of having compelling relationships is what's going to be the glue that holds a church together is very important. And if your relationships are just Sunday relationships, I question the depth of those relationships. Um, and that doesn't mean we're buddy buddies with everybody in our church, especially if it's a big church. But there are some people that you're, you're, you're tuned into, you're keyed in with, these people you're doing life with, whether you talk to them during the week or you text during the week or you, maybe you get together for lunch or dinner or something. Um, you know, there's relationships that are carried on beyond the walls of the church, and that's what true Christian community looks like. The third thing is worship, is worship. It's coming together and sharing, obviously they're talking about here, not just the Lord's Supper. I mean, that's a very important part of worship, but just coming together to worship God together. Um, we talked about corporate prayer. We could even throw worship into that as well. Um, worship is a very powerful thing because like I say, we love the small group, but we also love coming together to worship together in a, in a big setting as well as the small setting. So um, the, the, the teaching and preaching the sense of community, the sense of worship, and then, and then what we just said, the, 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 the idea of prayer. We come together to pray. And we don't just pray on Sunday. We pray for each other. During the week, we pray for each other. Maybe send a friend a text and say, hey, I was just thinking about you, and I prayed for you this morning. Or, you know, during our, our small group meetings, maybe you meet once a week or twice a week or, or maybe, you know, once every two weeks, however you do it, but in those small group meetings, that's where we come together and we pray for each other. When somebody's dealing with something, when somebody's going, look, I've got a friend who's struggling to find a job, and, you know, we pray for him regularly that, that God will just open that door. I've got another friend who's going through some serious health issues. We pray for him when we come together. And we want to let him know you're not in this by yourself. We're with you. And so cultivating an atmosphere of prayer. Um, I've got friends who they'll come over and we'll talk and hang out and you know, not every time, but sometimes we'll say, man, you know, you're really good. I, you know, I'll, I'll send something. And I'll say, let me just pray for you and I'll pray for them. Or maybe they'll send something for me. Hey, you know, let me just pray for you. And so there's this idea of prayer that just draws us together. So fellowship, uh, so, so teaching and preaching, God's word, um, community, that sense of fellowship, uh, corporate and even small worship, and then, and then prayer. Those are so, so important. Um, the essentials essential characteristics of a good church. All right, well, don't go away. We'll be right back. Um, got a couple of really cool things to kind of wrap up with, but I wanted to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul in Acts. Um, first of all, you need to read the Acts of the Apostles. I think it's the most exciting book in the New Testament. And then get my book, Peter and Paul and Acts, because it kind of serve as a, it'll serve as a guidebook to help you understand Acts even better. We look at the historical context, we look at the background, we look at the author. We actually introduce, to some degree, the Gospel of Luke because they were written by the same person. So you'll even get some great background on the Gospel of Luke. So check out Peter and Paul and Acts. There'll be a link in the show notes. Cl click. 
excuse me, click on that link and grab a copy for yourself. Well, okay, we've talked about the power of connection, why we need each other. We've talked about Christian community and what it looks like. Now I want to give you two examples, briefly, of churches in the book of Acts. Now there's quite a few. Paul planted, oh gosh, I think the last time I tried to count, my best guess is maybe 12 to 15 churches. Um, Now he had a team, he had a large team that was working with him and and, you know, the team was probably responsible for even more. But as best we can figure, Paul planted probably between 12 to 15, maybe a few more churches in the New Testament. And you think about it, there was, there was no transportation. Your two feet were your transportation. There was no uh, way to communicate. It was just, you know, get in there and do the work and plant the church. And so I want to talk about two of these churches. And one of them is in Acts 16. And I'm just going to kind of relate kind of what we see there. In Acts 16, this is the first church on the European mainland. This is a a church in um, uh, Philippi, which is probably modern-day Greece. And here we see Paul um, being led there by a vision. He's got his team with him. They show up in, in Philippi. And what Paul would normally do is go to the synagogue. He would start there, but there was no synagogue in Philippi. This was a Roman colony, and the Jewish population there was very strong. But he knew that, that if there were any God-fearers, any Jews, they would be praying by the river. So he went down there on the Sabbath and found a group of women who were praying, who were maybe talking about the, 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 the Jewish God, the, the, the law, the Torah, whatever it was they were talking about. But there was a sense of um, they were hungry. They were seeking after God. So Paul shares the gospel with them. And the, the, the lady who was leading the group, her name was Lydia. She was a, a saleswoman. <clears throat> she had her own business. She came to faith, and she invited Paul into her household. It says that she and her entire household were baptized, and the church probably began to meet at her house. So you've got this core group now of, of, of a church meeting at, at, at Lydia's house. And then you see, we see Paul, as he continues to to, to, to preach throughout the city. He would go to the market. He would preach in other places. And one day he was actually going to the market and a slave girl who was used, um, the, the, the Bible actually tells us she was demon-possessed and they used her to tell people's futures. And, and she began to, uh, I guess you could call it demonic prophecy, say of Paul, you know, that this, this man, um, it says that she says, these men are servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Well, that sounds good, but Paul understood that it was coming from an unclean spirit. And after a few days of listening to her, he cast the demon out of her. And and, and the the assumption here is that she became a believer as well. She was set free. But now her her masters are upset because she's not demon-possessed anymore. She can't tell the future anymore. So they grab Paul and Silas. They beat them uh, pretty severely and had the, the Roman jailer throw them into jail. Now the Roman or the slave girl we talked about here, we really don't know that much about her. The there is one church tradition I'm, I'm trying to locate it right now that that, that talks about um, the fact that the early church there in Philippi actually purchased her freedom. Um, don't know that for a fact, but that's a, I mean, it sounds like a great story, doesn't it? But then Paul and Silas are in jail. The Roman jailers looking after them, and in the middle of the night. Paul and Silas, after all they've gone through, they decide to have a prayer meeting. They sing, they worship, and there's an earthquake. It shakes the foundations of the jail. Their bonds fall off. The doors fall open. And the Roman guard is going to kill himself. And Paul and Silas somehow see it. 
they, they, they tell him that they're still there. And he comes in and he utters this amazing statement. He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And it says that he and his entire household believed and were baptized. So this is the, the nucleus of this church in Philippi. You've got a, a wealthy woman with her own business. You've got a slave girl who has nothing. She's come out of a life of abuse. And, um, you know, somehow now she's welcomed into the fold. And then you've got a blue-collar guy. You've got the, the, the Roman guard who, who is probably a retired soldier living in this Roman colony. And now he's a believer in Jesus and a part of the local church. So this is very powerful. This gives you a great idea of how the local church was established. And just one more um, thought on, on, on one of the local churches that Paul planted and it's in Ephesus. And in, in, in Ephesus, Paul <clears throat> arrives there. He'd been wanting to come. He'd made a, a short visit before, but now he's wanting to come to Ephesus and preach the gospel. And it says that when he got there, he found several believers. And these guys had heard about Jesus, but they didn't know the whole gospel. And it says, did you receive, Paul asked him, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And the end of the story is Paul baptizes them again in water and he laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit filled them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So there were 12 men. So the presumption here is these 12 men also had 12 families and these families um, were the nucleus for the church for the church in Ephesus. And Paul met for a while in the synagogue and as he often did, but you know, what often happened was um, as the crowds grew, people coming to hear Paul, <clears throat> the, the Jewish leaders got uh, jealous and, and threw him out. But it was here that Paul began to preach and teach throughout Asia. He rented out a hall, and they met every day for two years in this lecture hall. And Paul did extreme miracles there. He essentially had a church that met, well, it says it met daily in this lecture hall with Paul sharing the gospel. One of the other awesome things about the Ephesian church is it was a city that was known for a lot of occultism. Um, a lot of occultism mixed in with the, the, the goddess Diana there. And um, really, it, uh, people were possessed of devils. People were practicing witchcraft, sorcery. And it says that after the message spread widely, um, it says a number of those who... Um, practiced these sinful practices, brought their sorcery books, and they burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So again, we see Paul here planting a church, having an impact, people coming to Christ. And what do we say the mission was? The mission is create disciples and plant churches. And that's the pattern you see of, of Paul's ministry throughout the entire book of Acts. Well, all right, I am going to stop there, and I'd love to hear from you. Uh, next week, we will wrap this series up. We're going to be talking about leadership in the early church and how what, what we can learn from leadership in the book of Acts. Um, but I'd love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com, leave a question or comment. Anything you want to talk about today's post, I'd love to keep the conversation going. While you're there, make sure you 
uh, sign up to get my free newsletter so we can stay in touch. My blog will just come right into your inbox um, twice a week, and this podcast will come in every Wednesday. Well, friends, thanks for being with me, and we will see you next week on Leading and Learning.